Support for this episode proudly comes from Muntins Malt. Muntins are a UK manufacturer and global supplier of world-class malts and malted ingredients. Muntins work closely with both traditional and modern breweries to find new and exciting ways to enhance beer recipes, improve efficiencies, and create new and innovative products. Muntins provide a full portfolio of brewing malts, from crushed malt in sacks to whole malt in bulk. Muntins also offer a range of liquid and dried malt extracts, which are the perfect solution to common challenges brewers face. Whether it's increasing ABV with Muntins Pale Ale Malt Extract, colour addition with Muntins Ultra Dark Malt Extract, or adding alcohol-free to a range with Muntins Alcohol-Free Malt Extract, Muntins Malt Extracts are what you need. Want support with recipe development or brewery troubleshooting? The Muntins Brewing Technology Team are on hand and happy to help. Sustainability lies at the heart of everything Muntins do, and they are proud to boast the claim of manufacturing 100% sustainable malt. For more information, contact the Muntins team by emailing hello at muntins.com or visit www.muntins.com. Great beers begin with Muntins. To make a mark in your field of expertise once is a sign of hard work and perhaps good fortune. To do that regularly shows there's more at play than a bit of luck. Whether you're in sports, a musician, or maybe a director, to hit the mark time and time again shows that you're a professional and a master of your art. Not only that, but there's likely to be a grateful audience out there that appreciates and enjoys your work. And for a great brewer, this dialogue is no different. And for the longest time, brilliant brewers have loathed the term rockstar brewer. And who can blame them? I can guarantee today's guest, the venerable Colin Strong, will be the first to shun such a title. But there's no denying the absolute quality of the beers Colin has produced in his career to date. Not bad for someone who, in his own words, fell into brewing by accident. Hello. And welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. To anyone that knows even a little bit about the modern beer scene, breweries such as Buxton, Black Isle, Marble and Northern Monk are synonymous with well-made quality beers. But you can add Salt Beer Factory to that list too. Founded in 2018, they're a little newer than some of the names we've just mentioned. But for a business that opened following three years planning, the same level of care and attention that went into the brewery build is evident in the beers they produce too. Thanks, in no small part, to head brewer Colin Strong. Following a career that has taken in those earlier breweries, Colin is now showcasing his wealth of expertise at Shipley's own Salt Beer Factory. Joining the business at the start of 2019, Colin had a good year under his belt before, like so much of the industry, had to adjust for everything that 2020 threw at him. It was crazy. We're looking back, yeah, almost exactly one year now. Um, the, the I have two two other members of staff who were both uh, put on furlough um, right right at the start of the first lockdown because we weren't entirely sure how much work it was really going to be. So because we we've got a, a kid and my wife was working full time as well, we sort of went through a very odd working pattern where I was working a four day week, uh, but I was working two no Wednesday through Saturday from 2 or 3 a.m. to midday, really. Then I'd come home, have fun. Uh, my wife would then start work after having had, had him in the morning because obviously there was no childcare. So that was 
pretty exhausting. But it meant that basically those four days I was in were basically transferring beer to Osset for canning on one of those four days. And then on the remaining three brewing, uh, double brewing pretty much every day. So, uh, yeah, we were turning out a fair amount of beer. The team's approach to brewing in lockdown would, in part, be informed by the brewery's main sales channels. But that didn't stop them producing a variety of styles either. A little bit of a mix of both, I think. Obviously, we were, like I say, sort of the supermarket production was really our main outlet. Obviously, we have 26 pubs in the Osset chain, and there's 26 pubs in in the Osset estate. And sort of a bit obviously because of that, we had sort of the best part of 400 people on furlough, and and um, yeah, so we we were kind of the only part of the brewery really making any money or bringing any money into the company. So this kind of pressure was on to to do everything that we could to, to keep the, the cash flow looking positive. And yeah, so on the basis of that, we kind of, we really, when the supermarket thing took off and I kind of became a success with them, we really pushed on for that. So that meant that for the first, I don't know, maybe three, four months, we were alternating brewing uh, low ABV beer and then ICAT. So we were sort of brewing ICAT, Huckaback, Citra, ICAT, Huckaback, Citra. Just basically sort of keep keeping the core range on the website, but meaning that we had beers we could crop yeast from basically just to try and keep keep us ticking over. So the first sort of four or five months or pretty much the whole way through the first lockdown, we just did that. We just, just kept our heads down and kept making core range beers. And then as we started to head towards the uh, lockdown break at the end of last summer, uh, we decided that, well, for, for one thing, we didn't really sort of have enough low ABV stuff to kind of um, keep cropping yeast from in the way that we have been doing so we decided we needed to add a little bit more of that into the range and basically try and utilize whatever free tanks we had at the time so we have we have some 20 hectoliter tanks which are a single brew size so we started brewing a couple more of our sort of vermont session beers around that point then they started proving successful we were just at that point we'd only really launched our web shop sort of right at the start of lockdown as well i think maybe even sort of in week one or two of lockdown was the first week that we'd gone live with it so we'd mostly been ticking off sort of core beers through that but then we started obviously getting these beers through obviously without being able to keg them it was just everything went in the can um but we noticed that these were picking up quite well and doing quite nicely so we started trying to utilize whatever brew days we could to uh start making a few more interesting beers and some stuff that were off core. So we did some different hop variety stuff. And then uh, I remember specifically having a meeting with Ned for <laughs> who's the, the brewery manager, sorry. And um, just being <laughs> sat with him in the office and I just went, he was looking at me he's like, he looked very happy Colin. I'm like, I'm just so sick of IPAs. <laughs> Cause I think for six months, that's literally all I'd made were like New England style IPAs. I was like, I'm so bored of it got to brew a stout or something so then coming into winter obviously we were like oh well, come on, come on. We, we can we, we've got a few brew days we've got a couple of empty tanks so we did start like knocking some stouts in there as well and then i think around that point we we myself and Ned had just sat down and gone, Let, let's just get back at it essentially he'd, he'd said at this point yeah you can come back full time we brought one of the guys back off for a load to kind of help out with movement and transfers and whatnot and yeah, at that point, we, we started expanding the range again and started brewing some more one-offs and some specialty beers. And uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I think it was really to our benefit. Well, one, it stopped me getting unbearably bored, um, <laughs> which was becoming a real problem. But the other was it, it meant we could kind of show off a few of the things that we, you know, a few of the skills that, we, that we've got around the brewery and, and, you know, making different beer styles and, and exploring that. So it's been a real passion of mine. So it was a real delight for me to, to be able to start to hammer that back a little bit. 
Beers from Salt Beer Factory have garnered an ever-growing fan base thanks to their presence on supermarket shelves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the having those sales and that direct customer relation, I mean, it's very odd that you kind of talk about the supermarkets where we're almost just like another faceless brand on the shelf. I mean, obviously, the beer, the beer sales in supermarkets is a whole different world now. But... Um, you know that, that you're almost to, to you're selling to the uninitiated in a lot of ways. You're, you're sort of preaching to the to the blind about about what they should and shouldn't be drinking. And um, so all you've got is your brand on the shelf, whereas the website gives you almost the exact opposite opportunity, where you can you use your your can designs to, to for a little bit of customer direction, but that the people are actually getting there and getting a little bit of personal feedback from the brewers and from the team at the brewery. So they were the two things that really pulled us through lockdown and I, I thank my lucky stars that they all happened when they did because I, I, I think we'd probably be having a conversation about how I was looking for a brewing job right now otherwise. While direct sales in supermarkets have been an invaluable route to market for Salt in these last 12 months, Colin is also clear on the key role that independent businesses play at the brewery too. I definitely think it's less harsh than it was. I remember... Um, Probably, I don't know, maybe like three or four years ago when um, someone like, say, Thornbridge or Wild Beer or someone else sort of, of you know, of a comparable size launched in the supermarkets, that every bottle shop would be online, like pouring their bottles down the drain. And the, the full backlash of how could you do this to us? The small independents have supported you. And, I mean, I, I kind of, I guess I cut my teeth in, in, in brewing sort of through a lot of that as well. And, I, you know, I, I do kind of, I do really hold sympathy with independence, and one of the one of the discussions we had um, before we agreed to start selling to Tesco's was we, we actually had a, co- a company meeting where we got the office team and all of the brew team from Salt sat down at lunch together and sort of talked through the pros and cons of it. And so the original plan was that I mean, obviously this, as I'm sure most breweries' plans were somewhat scuppered by um, by lockdown, um, was that our plan was that essentially we we would move ICAT into Tesco's but that we would replace it with kind of a rolling double IPA series that would only be available to independent bottle shops as, as a way of sort of compensate and to sort of show a bit of solidarity with them. Now, how many of them would have taken it up, I don't know. But um, I think certainly the stigma is a little bit less these days. I think that sort of more breweries have seen it as a really viable route to market. And especially if you look at the, the US model and what, what happens over there is that, but, you know, when a craft brewery not only start to become successful but the, you know their aim is to get get their beer at the supermarkets and, and to get the widespread you know they have like massive massive um off licenses that are you know huge nationwide chains where they try and really push the beer and but it's looked after very well and you know it's refrigerated and all that kind of thing so you know you've got reliability and the idea that the beer will be in better condition but i think conditions are really improving and i think uh the sort of I mean, I'm no great fan of the sort of price wars on craft beer that, that seem to be happening between Morrison's and Tesco's and everyone at the moment. You know, you still get sort of backlash from some bottle shops um, about, not just some bottle shops, sorry, some, some craft beer buyers about sort of a race to the bottom. And when Tesco's are running deals of eight, six to eight percent IPA has been sold for two pounds a can, I don't think that's great for the industry because I think, you know, it does drive down the perception a little bit. But in a lot of ways as well, you know, the, 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 those sorts of deals are helping breweries stay alive at the moment. And I think that'll be one of the most interesting things to see what the knock-on is coming out of lockdown as to how many breweries get left behind.
For Colin, it's important that breweries can leverage the sales channels available to them. We can't just be selling to the bubble. We need to be selling to new customers. I'm a passionate believer and a passionate supporter of independent businesses. But what supports those independent businesses is getting people who buy mainstream brands into something else and dragging them back. And you can't do that by just sheer will alone. And then I think there's sort of this other side where you kind of have people who are sort of in the craft beer bubble, sort of the really hardcore untapped massive, if you like, who were like, oh, they, they sold out or they, you know, they, oh, they're always just trying to grow and they're trying to make money. And it's like, at the end of the day, these companies are businesses. Now, I'm, I'm no fan of just like, you know, growing for growing sake. I, you know, I think it should be, um, it should be fluid and it should be representative of what the, what the beer reach is and, and what the brewery's intentions are. I think like a lot of the craft beer bubble would prefer it if all of their favorite breweries just appeared on the scene at five to 15 barrels and never grew and just served them beer constantly. But unfortunately, that does not keep the brewery afloat. In addition to the wealth of well-received IPAs Salters produce, they've also put out a number of stronger, punchier beers too. And with the brewery's newly launched Hexagon project, Colin and his team are producing a diverse range of beers from the hop forward to the dark and decadent. The Hexagon project was something we proposed last year as a, almost as a sort of standpoint to, uh, I think, people being like, oh, well, they just might be over supermarkets. I think, you know, it was one of the things that you used to hear quite a lot. And uh, like I said, one of the decisions we made about the brewery when we decided we were going to sell in the supermarket was that we wanted to, to support independence and support smaller suppliers and, and um, try and give something a little bit, some, something to them that they that they could have as their own, essentially, rather than you know just just thinking letting the company become sort of washed over as just being the supermarket brand. So the Hexing project kind of was born out of that. I mean, at, at that point, I don't think we had any intentions of it being a separate, like separately labeled or separately thought of, really. But then I think it became important to us later on that we that we thought this this is somewhere we can go. I mean, we'll still release specials just completely under the salt label on its own off hexagon but the hexagon stuff is when we've come up with something that we're just like oh is that going to be too much too big flavors is it going to scare the horses is it going to be a bit too experimental and with that salt had a new home for some of its bolder and more experimental beers we had some expertly planned and thought through barrel aged beers in barrel at the time and when we were discussing sort of releasing those around christmas the idea came up that maybe we, we could do it as a, as a separate thing that would just be sort of slightly identifiable as a separate thing to, 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 the, core, to the core range, really. And the core range, I mean, it's, it's quite big and flavorful beers. That, that was always the intention with them. But this was almost to be sort of the chains-off version of all of those. So we had, like I say, the, the, we had two barrel-aged beers that we were sort of waiting to do something with for that point. And then, the, yeah, well, when we got down to discussing what we were going to do with them with the rest of the next project. When we have a great idea, let's not get bogged down in, oh, well, how much is this ingredient going to cost or how much is that ingredient going to cost and where are we going to put it and what's going to happen with this and what should this do? Just go for it. And it was kind of a vote of confidence in me and the brew team from head office and, and our office just saying, you know, we know you've got the chops to make some really amazing beers, so get all of you down there and do it. And while the Hexagon project launched with barrel-aged Baltic porters and barley wines, it's not all about high ABV releases. Sort of in terms of the, the beers we've released so far, there's been three barrel-aged beers, which we're very proud of, 
sort of non-pastry pastry stout where we tried to use sort of real fruit instead of just using essences to to try and make that really pop but then so the initial four releases were all kind of slightly bigger easier double figure abv beers but then to kind of keep it mixed up and fresh then number five was a session i said which called sort of called hexagon five supersonic which is uh, a take on our citra ipa using some different hop products so it's kind of a hdhc high density hop release with citra using uh incognito t90s bbc's cryo hops and this new spectrum product from from uh barth house and trying to cram all of those in and just to see what we could do in the way of sort of body and flavor profile of a low ABV beer. And for Colin, it was important that this strand of salt's output was anything verging on the predictable. Exactly that. And we kind of just, just didn't want it to become this sort of one note thing where it was like, oh, that's just for the release of big beers. You know? So it was, a, it was a chance as well, I guess, that because we have sort of, obviously they retail at a fairly high price point, I guess. It just meant, it meant that you know, you know we're going to release this session beer because of sort of the those all of those additions. It, it was probably going to be pricier than, than the average pale on the street. But we thought, well, we can stick it kind of under the hexagon banner and kind of do something a bit different with it. And then sort of the sixth release, which will be coming soon, is a double IPA again using lots of different hop products, but this time using sort of six different varieties of hops rather than single hop, and it's nine point. One nine point two percent, I think. So yeah, we just didn't want it to be a series of beers that became it's just the barrel aged stouts or it's just big ABV stuff. We wanted wanted to be about freedom to play with beer in in a much wider scale. And I think further to it just being sort of traditional, either hoppy or larger beers, it will also then increase again and start to include saisons and mixed fermentation beers and then starting to use like different fruits and things as well so we're, it, it it's basically to be beer without limits is really what the intention of it all is to be but regardless of style colin places quality and stability at the front and center of any beer the brewery puts out i think it's a very uh, a very pertinent question given certain releases that have been widely talked about on social media recently like i mean we it's a very odd question because i do believe that there is nowhere near enough qc across the craft beer industry because i think there are certain breweries who do it immaculately well and you know who, who will never release a beer until they're 100 percent happy it's going to be perfect you know th- th- those breweries are to be lauded and praised but there's also an absolute raft of chancers who'll throw anything into a beer, release it, and not only will it get out there and even, you know, beyond having that be like product recalled, will actually be released dangerously, like in a genuinely could explode and injure someone. But then that the beer buying public, on top of that, then give it like a 4.8 on, on tap. <laughs> and so, you know, the, in a way, give the people what they want, I guess. I mean, for my part, I would be absolutely ashen-faced and totally ashamed if one of my beers got out and, you know, that was the, the reception it got. But, 
you know, for, if, if I want to put my journalistic hat on, no news is bad news and no publicity is bad publicity. So um, those guys are, and I'm not thinking of one brewery in particular here, I'm, I'm thinking of several, but they're probably more famous than they ever should be, or some people might say have any right to be, but they are out there. And the kids in massive inverted commas seem to really love that sort of thing. They love the extremeness of it. Yeah, man. Nearly blew my hand off. Five stars. While Colin is celebrating more than two years at Salt Beer Factory in 2021, one beer he's asked about time and time again is Yellow Belly, a collaboration he carried out with Omnipoyo during his time at Buxton Brewery. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I have come out against that beer a couple of times, but it's probably the slight anger that, and maybe the slight jealousy as well that like a lot of times I meet new brewers and I'm like, oh, Yellow Belly then. I'm like, Jesus, that was years ago. Give me a break. <laughs> but um, I, it, it was a fantastic beer. Like, I, I still love it to this day. And, I, you know, I, I, I do genuinely have a, have a real soft spot for it because obviously it did a lot for my career as well. But the beer itself, I think, was... I don't think I'd ever tasted a pastry stout until that beer was made. Or maybe at least while it was in the process, I was talking to Henock at Omnipolo quite a lot about whether there were other sort of things of that style and they were making Aeon Aeon Noah as it was at the time at uh, Demolin so we were set up on the original um, the second Rainbow Project with Omnipolo and genuinely the original release of that beer was going to be a beer that later got released as Stolen Fruit so it was a um, much lower ABV kettle soured beer with grapefruit and grapefruit zest because we'd had the discussion going, everyone's going to release like a big stout, so we should release something that's almost like the polar opposite, just kind of shock. So on the day when we were brewing it, uh, Henock came over and myself and him went to Morrison's that morning. I mean, we, we had quite a lot of uh, grapefruit and limes in, but we went to Morrison's, cleared them, cleared their shelves. Like we're going up the staff, just going, right, have you got any more on the back? Because we just were on the day, just going, fuck it, let's just go abs. Sorry, can I swear? Is that all right? <laughs> Sorry. We'll just uh, we'll just go hell for leather at it, and uh, you know. So we got all of the grapefruits and limes in Buxton, I think, uh, and took them all back to the brewery. Myself and Hanok and Jake, who was my assistant at the time, all sat round a table, um, zesting and and deducing them uh, while the beer was coming up to boil from kettle souring over the weekend, and then we uh, boiled it through. But in the discussion of that day, anyway. We started talking about different beers and we sat, we were trying a couple of different sort of omnipolar beers and then discussing what we could do. And the original discussion was maybe we should do something where it's like a barrel-aged beer that's never been in barrel. And also that is like three-day-old fresh. That was the original discussion we'd had. And we were got talking about these guys at the University of Stockholm, I think it was, who um, he was working with on some of the different flavoring ideas that they'd been talking about. So then, yeah, we hit on the idea through sort of loads of back and forth discussions about uh, the beer being peanut and biscuits, but that was allergen free and that, that had never been near either peanuts or biscuits. So, yeah, so from there, I mean, the idea was to just kind of make it as big, big bodied, like a really big rounded monster beer. Um, so I went away and I designed the malt grist 
Henock sorted out the flavorings and we've had like a lot of back and forth discussions about what we want the beer to be and then we just kind of i guess the wrapping became the other bit it was actually that the, the, the day the wrapping decided i remember very distinctly was at uh McKellar beer celebration in copenhagen or copenhagen beer celebration as it was at the time uh going down and was still chatting with henock and carl there and uh henock was like we've had an idea for the wrapper you come in i was like all right okay let's have a chat about it fact, like, come with me so you need to talk to carl about it so we walked down to Omnipolo's stand and Carl was drawing on their uh, little nameplate. And Henock goes, hey, hey, Carl, show Colin what you're thinking about for the design. And he just drew this little bottle with the like, Ku Klux Klan thing on. And I was like, oh my God, what? So we we had a quick discussion about it. And yeah, that was where the whole thing then tied together. And it was the construct of the beer itself that was so heavily tied into the message behind this particular release. So obviously we had to list the ingredients. Because you know it had to be released legally as a beer, but the discussion was that we wouldn't, you know, without like really being probed or really discussing how we got the flavour in there, we weren't going to talk about it. And then that being about hiding things, and then this kind of moved on to the political system in the in across, well across Europe and the world at the time, where they were sort of starting to notice more and more the rise of the right wing and sort of, uh, you know, fascism and all of these things starting to come back and how a lot of these people, you know, we were then talking about the the polls in America where uh, people were coming out and saying that they had voted a different way than they had. And like, so, like something like 20% of people were saying they had voted for a right-wing party, but then the right-wing party were getting in with like 15, 60% of the votes. The conversation would soon shift to the existence of the Ku Klux Klan, the supremacist terrorist group that was spread hate under the cover of disguise. It wasn't a hundred percent easy decision. The other guys at Buxton did not want to release that label at all. And there was a lot of discussion about what we were going to do with it. The original design didn't have yellow belly written on the label either. It was just going to be in the white bottle with the hood. And um, there, there was no way Buxton were going to allow that to be released. So they didn't want it to happen at all. So, um, the compromise was we'll have yellow belly written on the front, so it, you know, in a, in a step could be separated from that. I mean, we genuinely thought we were just going to get loads of hate mail from the US. I think there was a big part of that. We thought we'll have nail bombs arriving on the post and all that sort of business. But um, as far as I know, we never did. Or maybe they just kept us from it. I don't know. On the other side of the spectrum, another beer Colin is particularly proud of is a saison he produced with Arizona Wilderness. Probably my favorite beer I've ever made was Deep Rainbow Valley, which was, a again, part of the Rainbow Project. That is a pure coincidence, but uh, that was a collaboration uh, our friends at uh, Arizona Wilderness, um, which was a 9% saison with uh, orange juice and Amarillo. It just worked very well. So we did two separate versions of it, in fact. So the, the, the version that went out on the Rainbow Project didn't have any breath in it. The, the, the second one that we packaged all into seven 50ml bottles, we we breaded in tank. It, again, it was sort of a very good timing thing where I discussed some of the wilderness guys and we were like, right, okay, we can get all some breath, that'd be wicked. And it just so happened, my friend Jay, who now works at Cloudwater, used to have Quantum Brewery uh, over in Stockport, and he had just done 100% uh, Brett fermented IPA so he was like oh yeah just come over and you can just crop off that so we, we fermented the beer out just using Saison yeast I think it was it was French Saison um, and then we fermented out and then out of the Britannomyces and 
somewhat foolishly tried to use the Britannomyces to bottle condition the beer, which is never great because it, it, it's a beer that uh, a yeast sorry that struggles sometimes, but it worked really nicely. But in the here and now, Colin is looking forward to a successful year ahead. The plan going forward this year is at the moment we're just advertising to hire another member for the brew team. Uh, we're looking for a, a lab technician, you know, just sort of speaking, obviously, about QC as we have done today. Uh, we're looking to just improve our processes, improve our handling, just so that the beers can just kind of take that next step in there, like being really, really polished and perfect. And, you know, hopefully absolutely shining every time someone gets their hands on them. So so that, that's our next big thing is we're, we're just in the middle of that drive at the moment. And then it's just, we're basically knuckling down this year and just, you know, going for it, striving for improvement. Obviously, we did a small expansion uh, last year in the middle of lockdown and we've just about hit capacity uh, with that so pretty much sort of we're all about four or five months down the line we, we, we've just getting ourselves into the routine of filling those tanks uh, completely regularly so we're, we're just trying to make sure that the, the brew team are happy and comfortable and well rested but that we're all busy and successful as well so we're we're just trying trying to find that balance at the moment but but, but the plan for this year is just to improve as it has been every year i mean just to kind of look at look at the hexagon stuff see um what what beers we really really fancy making if there are styles that we really want to approach or or sort of new techniques new products that we can get in and then that's going to be something good and hopefully uh this hire will will free me a little bit more time to sort of speak to suppliers and 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 just do a little bit more research and, and get all of those sort of things nailed down a little bit tighter. And following a challenging but rewarding 2020, Colin is still very much enamoured by the brewing industry he's made his name in. Yeah, like, I think like anyone, I have my moments. I, th- I think sometimes you just think, what the hell is going on? Like, and I mean, you know, when you see... <laughs> keep going on about this, like the old man shouting at clouds, but the, the uh, when you see sort of like beers being made there and getting released and they're being you know badly handled and infected and having to be recalled still making like massive scores you think who am i doing this for is this for the you know is this for the beer geeks anymore but i think maybe just as i've gotten a bit older as well you know i've been doing this a while and i am enthused but the things that i'm really enthused about now are like really great lagers um like west coast ipas like make a process and making sure that things are perfect rather than just going yeah we threw all this flavor in and like i'm not in any way opposed to any of that i love big flavors and beers and i love challenging what flavors are and can be in a beer but at the same time i want to make sure that that beer is not going to take anyone's thumb off while i'm doing it the brewers journal podcast is a production of reby media produced and hosted by me tim sheehan Sound engineering is by Ross McPherson. Series supervision is by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And a special thank you today to Colin Strong of Salt Beer Factory.